On this week's episode, Scott and Lee make attempt number two to record an episode about weather. Welcome to this week's episode of the Far Aim Podcast. We're back again to talk about the weather. Still got a lot of a lot of questions about the weather to ask, and Lee's still got uh, some questions he needs to answer. So yeah, okay. So you, you Rob's, said that I Rob's had something being, I left on. Yeah, yeah. Lee, Lee has something he left unanswered from last week, and Rob's being a deadbeat again, so he's not helping us. He's here, but he's I'm here. Yeah, he's not. He's not helping with the intro. I do the intro, which is I'm enjoying it. I'm just enjoying it. Bunch of BS. It's, I don't know how to do intros and stuff, but here we are. Uh, so anyway, so I yeah, left your question unanswered. You left a yeah. question unanswered. We got to okay. talking about it, but you never actually answered the question. The question okay. was, and what was that question? Yeah, you're you're flying along. Are you planning a flight in your 150, and you're looking at your destination airport, and there is a crosswind, direct crosswind of X. And you say, I'm not mm-hmm. going. What is that number? I would, so just right now, um, I was not current in the 150 for over a year. And I went on a not so windy day for the first time out of the gate flying. And it was not the prettiest work that I've done. It was a little crosswind, but mostly down the runway. And it was pretty light. So there's maybe six knots at crosswind component, six or seven knots crosswind component. I was rusty flying a small airplane again. Um, I found myself not, again, I, I talk a lot about time and seat and that comfort level, that seat of your pants feel, and you know where you are airspeed wise for the most part without even looking. I had lost that touch um, just, in, just in a year. And even though I fly, you know, 500 hours a year, I, uh, I had lost that touch with that particular airplane. And, so I found myself a lot and I was flying from, from the right seat, which is also already weird for me, but I was flying from right from the right seat. So I found myself having to look across the cockpit a lot to see what was on the airspeed indicator for kind of my, I'd lost that, the feeling, the seat of my pants feeling where you can normally just, you know, ride it and glance occasionally. I found myself having to, to look a lot at that and, and to be on speed or remotely close to speed, which I wasn't for the first couple laps around the pattern uh, much at all. My first landings, even that with that light wind, were were not pretty. Getting competent, um, you know, like let's say I, I've flown ten, you know, five hours in the last week or ten hours in the last month or something like that. I I, I think I would imagine I'd probably do okay in twenty twenty five. I'm not sure. Direct, direct crosswind. Yeah, that, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, so it could be thirty five or forty knots total but 25 yeah. off the side or something like, you know, 25 okay. direct crossing component. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I've never, I, I've never tried that. Just looking at my proficiency level in other aircraft, not a 150, of course, but other, other airplanes, smaller airplanes in those types of conditions. I probably, I probably could. Now we're acknowledging that we're not a hundred percent sure on what the crossing component limitation or not limitation. I shouldn't say that, but the crossing component on a 150 is 13 knots. Well, yeah, the max demonstrated was 13 knots. Max demonstrated, right. So it's not a limitation. So yeah, I misspoke when I said that. Um, so you're saying you're saying you could let it you could take it all the way up to 25 and you'd still be all right. If you were I'm, if you had been flying it regularly. Well, when I'm when I'm saying I'm doubling what they did during testing for the air for, you know, for the certification of the airplane, that sounds absolutely insane. But 20 seems reasonable to me. I mean, like it just seems like that shouldn't be a big deal. So what's another? I, but I, I can't be sure because I haven't done it. I have to go find it and try it and try it on grass first, I guess. You know, from my experience go. with that plane, um, most of my time is in a one hundred and fifty. Uh, you run out of rudder authority. Yeah, but that's why you go faster. Yeah, yeah. that's why you have that's a faster final. Faster. That's part of why you have a faster final yeah. approach speed or flapless, all that good stuff. Yeah, I used to Fla- use flaps if it was real windy. That's yeah. That'd be my yeah. Definitely a recommendation of mine. If I mean, it depends. So I mean, if it's like you know, like I am at the limit of maybe what this airplane is capable of, you're maybe not at my my skill level. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying if if you could, if you're like, oh, I'm I've got 
100 hours in this airplane in the last month, you're at the peak of your proficiency, and you're not at your limit, but you're at the airplane's limit, then pulling out all the stops, I'd have a much faster final pro speed flapless. But if it's like yeah. 10 knots crosswind, I probably wouldn't do anything different. Maybe I'd probably fly faster on final just because there's probably gusty winds associated with that. So you want a little bit of buffer above stall speed. But I, I, w- I would still do full flaps, you know, which in the 150, we pretty much always treat as 30, even though there's 40 total. Just 40 is oh, just... I always, I always use 40. Why not? Okay, sure. I mean, unless it's windy, then I don't. But if it's calm, like, I'm going to slow that thing down as much as possible. Why don't you just fly slower 30 and require less power from your engine to maintain your speed. Just flares well, better when you got that 40. Pow- well, I don't use power on on final. Okay. So you're like way better pilot than I am then, so. All right. Well, no. I mean, I'm not saying I never have to add power, but I typically So when you do have to, you have to add more than I would. Well, I don't put No, I don't put the 40 in until I know I don't need power. I'm usually at 30, and then once I know for a fact like I got the runway made, I don't have to add power. Then I drop the other ten in. So about how many, how many feet above ground level are you when you're putting in that last ten? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it could be. I could be like coming across the threshold, and I'll throw the. What's I've the put point it in during of that? The, I I put it in during the flare just because you hit the yeah, button. I've, it's electric. I've, yeah, I've put it in like right before the flare. Like, yeah, like as I'm flaring, I, I I'll put it in. Just the feel of that plane and the flare yeah, just feels just, better when the full 40's in. I don't know what well, it is. You know, it's well, like, yeah, hold on, though. It's, just, it's so smooth, then. So is 30. So you're changing the configuration of the airplane in I the feel flare. Like I could, with, with, if I put 40 in there, like, if it's calm, like, I can make it so, like, you can't even tell when the airplane transitioned from being in the air to, like, on the wheels. I can do that with 32, Scott. I mean, okay. well, maybe, disclaimer, like disclaimer, easy. disclaimer. This is hundreds of hours. I and mean, we have student pilots who are probably training a 150. Listen to this. This is hundreds of hours in make and model. This is a grass strip that's a lot more forgiving than pavement. Oh, this yeah. Is yeah, own, pavement, it's yeah. in our own aircraft, not a rental that we know very, very, very well. So continue. Don't, don't, don't try this in training. Yeah, do whatever your instructor wants or your flight school, whatever SOPs you're operating under. Go go with that. This is just food for thought. If you own one or if you want to own one or just general technique across all airplanes. Because this some a lot of this applies to other airplanes too. If it's windy, gusty, partial flaps are often recommended. Check with the manufacturer and whatever SOPs, like I said, you're operating under. But typically on a gustier day, you want to add, you know, in a lighter plane, I don't know exactly what the stuff is anymore, but like we say, add 50% of the gust factor up to a a maximum of 20 knots is what we'd add to our final approach speed. So that's something to consider. So maybe in a light airplane, maybe you want to do 10 knots, half the gust factor up to 10 knots total. Something like that is is kind of a, a final approach speed, a planned approach speed. Um, so whatever your normal is plus a maximum of 10, basically. But back to, so partial flaps might be in there. So just look what the SOPs are for, for wherever you're flying or the manufacturer. I do 30 all the time. I'm not, my, my perception is like you want to be stabilized. I understand what you guys are getting after. You're getting after this good landing, but you guys are both awesome pilots. Do a good landing with 30. Why change the configuration? If you want 40 in so bad, you should hold on. If you wanted 40 so bad, yeah, okay, cool. It'd also be easier for you to plan that you wanted to land with 40 a half a mile ago and figure that out. Do your power off descent from further out and have 40 in and make it happen. You're good enough to do that. And it would save you gas. So do that then. No one's worried about gas in a 150. Right. I okay. Don't know. I just, All right. I I just do like, I don't know. I just throw them in. It's like, I'm okay. I'm coming over the this threshold. Me, got, the run, got the runway made. I'm going to drop whatever flaps I haven't put in yet. Makes me feel good. My guess would be that last. Yeah. And I, and I get yeah, that. But 10, you don't want to yeah. change con- in any. In, beyond this, you're not changing configuration on short final at all. Well, I, you probably shouldn't, but I just 
don't know. No, no, no I'm with you. I'm with you. And I, I don't know. I don't know what super cub guys do, you know, or, you know, hardcore bush pilots who have the super cubs, a bad example, but a little bit more of a complex bush airplane, like a Cessna 180 or a 185, where they have a bunch of variable flap degrees and stuff like that as well. I don't know what those guys are doing, but they're they doing any like, of this tied up a hundred, 200 hours in the plane. A hundred percent, but I, that being so, you're again validating my point. You guys are good enough and have enough experience in the plane. You could have put forty in a long time ago, and now I have to do something that, according to the FAA, would be unstable. Trying to grease those landings. It's do for I'm not telling you not it's to do forty. Form. Do your forty. Just plan it better. Just do it sooner. Just okay. Just do so, it sooner. Yeah. yeah. Be a little higher. If, be yeah. I mean, because well, I mean, not that you can really be stabilized if you're doing it. You tr- in my opinion. There, you cannot do. I bet you can't do fifty percent of your. Well, yeah, I bet you probably can't do fifty percent of your landings power off, but meet stabilized approach criteria. I bet because, well, you definitely can't just because of glide slope reasons or whatever. But like, what's a if you were to describe to me or yourself whatever a short field landing technique, the safest way to do that is a powered approach, right? Yeah. So yeah, I'd, I'd do a powered approach with forty degrees of flaps. Right. So and you said way, like when I as soon as I'm over the runway and I take that power out, it's just gonna it's gonna stop. You know. Yeah. Your 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 state. You're okay. So you're using basically other words to describe. You're stabilized, and as soon as you got the runway made, you're pulling the power out, and you're pretty much yeah. you know where you're gonna hit. Yeah. For lack of a better term. Well, that's, that's all I would be asking for. But so when you were doing your normal technique, I don't know if I can call it your normal technique, you're flying 30 degrees till you know you've got it made, which may be further out. I'm, I was, you know, but you guys have actually yeah, stated short final over the numbers, over the threshold, all that stuff. <laughs> you guys said those things. I don't always do that, but like. I know, I know, I know, but yeah. but you mentioned it casually, so now I can bite on it. You know right. what I mean? So sometimes because of not being stabilized or well i guess that would kind of not allow you to fit the definition of stabilized you're throwing those flaps in just just because you want them when you land you don't care about the rest of the approach as long as you have them in when you land so you get the consistent feel that you're looking for right yeah you're lee you'd sit and watch pablo picasso paint a painting and tell him he should have done that brush stroke sooner it's un- <laughs> un- unbelievable i would yeah right well I, yeah i mean I totally would. I can I can chair fly and nitpick you guys all day long. Just don't to, come fly with me. <laughs> the key to always having a good landing is just don't fly when it's windy or crappy out at all. I haven't had a bad landing in years. All my landings are completely smooth because I only fly when it's perfect. Yeah, the last time you guys... I had, the last time I had any sort of like the last time I had a landing that wasn't like perfect was when you and I were flying in. Uh, we went to Norwalk. I don't know if we're doing a flight review or something. It was mm-hmm. a little breezy, a so. little, little crosswind mm-hmm. on a paved runway, which that's your first mistake. Paved runway with a crosswind. Never do that. But I had you with me, so I wasn't, you know, I had to do it because it's my flight review. That was the last time I had a landing that wasn't like, just like perfectly smooth. I don't, I don't see where the reward is though. You know, if, if you're not flying, like I feel like flying today, I'm going to go flying, even if it's not ideal. You know what I mean? Like I see well, how you could like, I want to go flying today cause it is nice. I get that too, but I would like to be, get better at it. It's just, if like, usually when I decide to go flying, it's like a last minute type thing. Like I'm just at my house and I had, and it's nice free, out. It's nice out. I have some free time. Right. And yeah. I'll just go get the plane out and go fly. So it's not like, oh, I have this planned destination that I'm going to go to, and now the weather's crappy, so I got to fly in it. You know, then I just, I don't know, it just doesn't happen that way. No, I'm with you. I but I also like. I would like to do some more crappy weather flying. I just it just never happens. Right, I hear you. I hear you. And that's probably true of a lot of people. That's how you slowly push your limits. Because like you asked the question, like, okay, is it, it's blowing 25 knots at my destination. Would I go fly? Or it's blowing 25 knots crosswind right now at my home airport. Would I go fly? Well, if I only fly, you know, when it's five knots right down the runway or less, 
like, I don't know if my skills would allow me to do that. You kind of want to build up to it. And I think the best way to do that is kind of like the dollar cost averaging concept. I fly on this day, it's eight knots down the runway. I fly the next time I go fly, it's 24 knots, but it's 12 knots crosswind. You know, it's not the whole 25, it's 12, you know, and then you can kind of find your brackets, what your skill levels allow. And that first landing on the 12 knot crosswind day, probably going to suck. And you're probably going to think on the next lap around the pattern what you want to do differently. Set yourself, self, set yourself up for for better, better, uh, better outcome. But you you don't want to just go cold turkey from five knots down the runway to twenty five knots crosswind. That's like I, I mean I wouldn't want to go do that. And that's what I think about building up the proficiency. Is that just takes time and it takes a range of conditions. And I think the only way to really achieve that is either hunt for those conditions gradually or whenever you feel like going flying, if it's within reason, go. The gradual aspect is is huge. Um, just Yeah, but, I, but it's also gradual the way I'm seeing it too. If you average out, if when you feel like going, go. Yeah, but I would also say if you were to go flying – in like a five knot crosswind you're good for an eight knot crosswind probably if you if you did that with no issues and then if you slowly wrap that you know ramp it up you that's a lot safer than just like oh i saw some other guy do it i'm probably good (laughs) yeah i'm not saying that yeah it should be when you're quote unquote you know pushing your limits it should be very close to something you've not only previously done, but previously done semi-recently. Um, it's similar with like diving. You don't go on a dive, you know, when you're pushing, you know, expanding your comfort level with dives. Uh, and that's, that's, I think that's a better word for it is comfort level with what you're comfortable with. It's, you don't, unless you're with a competent dive master instructor you just don't go on a crazy dive after you've just been in 30 feet you know reef diving you're not going to go on a 120 foot wreck dive the next day if you've especially if you've never done that kind of thing or haven't done it in a long time the windiest the windiest i ever flew was because i saw somebody else do it so i said okay if they if they're doing it i have to do it too yeah and that's that's something to be and you have the skill level to to survive that yeah, it was barely. <laughs> well, yeah, we've all, and that's how, and unfortunately, that's how a lot of us learn, which is not the best way to learn things. Yeah. But like Rob was saying, the comfort level, you're probably more right the first time because some people aren't smart enough to even know what they're, or they don't know enough to know what their limitations truly should be until it's too late. There was a, there was a fly in and I was like, it's way too windy. And I was like, I don't think I should go in this. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to go. Unless somebody else from this airport flies to the fly-in, then I'm going to force myself to do it. Of course, we all knew who did. He pulled the cub out of the hangar and went. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) And it was just like, I had had never felt the 150 get thrown around like that. It was just like all I could do to keep that thing straight. (laughs) <laughs> he should have been an exception to the rule, though. I know. Like if anyone else but him <laughs> flies, I'm going. Because he only flies when it's absolutely horrible right. weather. Right. Yeah. I should have excluded him, but I was like, no, if he can do it, I can do it. Oh, man. It, that was, that was back when I was, a lot, I was a lot more proficient flying then because I flew a lot more often. But, man, it even scared yeah. me. That That plane was doing things that I did not think that it was going to do just like was that just, i could not keep it straight just was that for mather's chili cook-off or yeah yeah well, like I, when was it doing things like you couldn't keep the, it straight what do you, what do you mean can you describe actually that i had i had a harder time keeping it centered down the runway on takeoff and like shortly after takeoff than i did on landing like as soon as the wheels left the ground on takeoff, like it was pushing me off the runway, like into the trees. Like it was just, I couldn't keep, I, you know, I was like completely crabbed over, like just trying to stay with the runway instead of getting like thrown into the trees. 
Yeah. It's like almost full control, moments of full control deflection yeah. just to get it, the wings to bite and do what you want to. Right, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, the, just that. like doing a shorter um, or a, uh, a landing with those types of gusty, windy conditions and have that faster final approach speed and consider what you're going to do with flaps. I, the same thing is true of doing a takeoff that way. Rudder authority is your friend, meaning airspeed going across that rudder is going to give you more rudder authority. So keeping it pinned to the ground, but you have to have a touch and a feel for that too. If you get it to the point where it's wheelbarrowing, that's more dangerous. Um, so yeah, keep it, I would say let it roll on the ground a little bit longer if you can, but it takes time to figure out what that limit is too. Yeah. Then when you get yeah. into the air, you have more aileron authority, more rudder authority. You can make those things happen. And one thing to say uh, as far as what like crab is, if you keep that ball centered, that should keep you tracking pretty close to the runway center line. If, you, if you're looking out the window on those super crosswind days, that's what's going to get you out of the trouble because you want to keep the, the nose longitudinally you know, parallel to the runway where that's not what you want to do because then you are blowing downwind. You want to let it weather vane. So basically to do that, you got to keep that ball in the center and do minor um, roll roll corrections um, heading-wise so that you're tracking a heading, not flying a heading on those on those days. Yeah, the, the landing was not as bad just because it was a really wide grass strip, so I had plenty of room for error, and it, it just didn't feel as gusty over there when i was coming in yeah and you had airspeed out of here yeah yeah and I had you had airspeed. 70 miles an hour yeah. of airspeed where you may have lifted off at 50 or 55 right yeah that's you true. know yeah. if you caught it sure if you might, caught a yeah. gust it yeah, may I, not I even mean, been I, registering anything i don't remember exactly what i did for landing but i probably didn't even use any flaps you know why would you when you got three thousand yeah. or whatever 3500 4, feet four thousand four thousand feet yeah four thousand feet long by what 200 foot wide i think so yeah, it was grass. the sweetest. Grass. That's where that's where I learned yeah. how to land. Right, it's like did they, it's, th- it's impossible to mess up a landing over there. Did they finally switch it over to Galloway? It says that on Microsoft Flight Sim now. It's Galloway instead of Mather. No, oh, yeah. I think it's. Uh, oh, does it? Is it I'm on Flight sure. Sim? It does, but I mean, they still have KSKY on freaking. I think the sectional flight sim. Says, I think the sectional chart still says Mather. Okay. I mean, Galloway has a strip too. So maybe you're seeing that one. Maybe. Galloway I'm, has I'm his own strip. I'm trying to check it's right only, now. It's only a, like a few miles away from Mather Strip. Maybe I landed at the at that one then, and I'm just like, man, the, rend- the rendition's horrible on this thing. Maybe it wasn't even Pro- the right strip. Probably. You probably landed at, at Galloway's Strip. Because Galloway okay. has his own before he bought he, Mather's. Um. Yeah, this still says Mather, yep. Yeah. because Mather that was, Field, yep. Yeah, they're that not that far the, apart, but I thought they were oriented differently. I don't know. I've actually never landed at Galloway's. And uh, this actually says Mather's 3,400, so I was yeah, closer I to being... Sw- I could have sworn it was 4,000. I think well, it's 4,000 if you count the, the grass at the end. The, like, yeah, but for some odd reason, the sectional isn't counting that, so I don't know how you want to qualify yeah. who's correct. Well, he did the, he did the chili cook-off. And he had to end it because people were buzzing the treetop, seeing how many limbs they could knock off the top. <laughs> yeah, that remember yeah, that year knocking that, branches off the trees. Yeah, that was the last year he had it. Yeah, that was nut house. It was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, when it was nice out, like that place would be. I remember landing there while their planes are taxiing on the other side of the runway. Like oh yeah, it'd be three wide taxi- sometimes. Planes are taxiing in, and I'd be landing at the same time. On the same runway. <laughs> yeah, you. I, I mean, you gotta have a lot of faith in. Gotta yeah. have a lot of faith in the other the other pilots, man. It's crazy. Um, so I mean, that's crosswinds. What do you guys think we're at with crosswinds? Uh, I don't know. This has been a good weather episode so far, though, man. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I'm trying to think about. Oh yeah, so we went with. Um, you guys want to land with forty at all costs, forty degrees of flaps. Right. When no I don't truly what. know if you guys would notice any difference. If I were to tape the thing over and you guys go 30, you guys probably just go do a good landing. And it would, I mean, like, you'd probably notice just because you guys have so much time in the airplane. I mean, but I you could do just as good a landing good at 30. Landing. 
I could probably do a good landing with 20, but why? Uh, you know you can do a well, little so bit For the sake of exercising one. principles of airmanship would be my response. Oh, I totally agree. Well, I, I can't go put in flaps whenever I want. Why? Haven't been able to do that for years. Why not? And so when you go teach students, you don't want them doing it either because I can't let them do it in a 150. And then when they go fly an Apache or an Aztec or a Seminole or something like that, they can't do it then. So I can't teach them something that they can't. I don't want to teach them something that I can't let them carry throughout their whole aviation career. I'm not teaching them just to fly a Cessna 150. I'm teaching them to fly whatever might get them paid one day. That's the way I see it. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the nuances. When you see someone doing something, and it seems all right when they're doing it that way, and they swear it's all right, there's still nuances. You may not be, you know, Mr. Griffin's here to give us the big picture of things. That we would well, maybe I don't know miss. about that. I'm just saying. When, when I, I, I just, I, I don't try to teach like, I, I, I can see, and I used to be a proponent of fly what you're flying when you're flying it. But then I also started thinking about, well, I'm really getting getting down and dirty on the minutia of this particular airplane when they're only learning to fly this airplane so they can pass this check ride, and they're going to go buy a different airplane, dump all of this, and then be able to go kill themselves in this other airplane. That doesn't make any sense to me. So I don't want them doing something in what they learned in or are currently flying that could if an FAA inspector were to jump in the seat when as soon as I get out, I don't want them smacking them upside the head and being like, who taught you that? Or why are you doing that? That's what I always think about is what will the next instructor – and it took me a long – I mean, obviously, I'm not perfect. I screw up things with students, myself, all the time, every day. It's an hourly occurrence when I'm in the airplane. But I can ideologically talk about it now, having you know all those constraints off me. All I have to do is focus on – the, the big picture ideologies, the idealistic nature of the way I would want things to be in a perfect world, that's all I have to focus on right now. So I can kind of talk in these ultimatum type things. And I just, that's just one – that's somewhere I don't want to really – I don't really want to sacrifice on that. You learn in 150, cool. fly You can fly the 150. You're just going to have to relearn the Arrow, the Seminole, the King Air, the CRJ, the 747. So why not teach them at least at least know what you're doing is wrong? That is a big thing. I, I think I have learned in the last couple years specifically, flying in the 135. Maybe, you know, and I can't always do everything right, like I just said, obviously. But at least I know when I'm doing something that's wrong and I can be pissed at myself about it. It's when people do stuff that's wrong and they don't even know that what they're doing is wrong. That's where I get pissed off. So I try to I try to teach as much as I can so that they know, hey, stabilize approach concept, blah, blah, blah. And then if they screw up with the FAA on board, it's not me. They knew it. I taught it to them. I harped on it. That's that's where I'm at with the 40 degrees on short final. Keep doing it. I'm sure there's landings where I would do it too, but I always, I mean, I never did it be like, oh, this is how you're supposed to do it. It's just like, okay, I know this is okay in this plane. This is not something I do in like even an Yeah, the FAA would disagree with you though. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember Don ever doing it with Don. Like, I don't think he had us. No, no, he didn't. Yeah. Like, that's just something I started doing on my own later. And that is is why we have flight reviews. And this, but this is two different, like, obviously we flew a lot together. We never had this conversation before. I had no idea that you did this as well, Scott, until we were recording this right now. This is just something I I know I I did once in a while. If it all it 100% by feel. Just cuz right. I was I was so comfortable in that plane, I I would start doing stuff by feel. And I I mean I'd spend calm days like I'd have dead calm winds and I'd come in and I'd bring it in no flaps. I'd bring it in 10 degrees of flaps, 20 degrees of flaps, one after the other to feel the differences and feel how it flares, just playing around with it because I was bored and, you know, building time. It was, you know, cheap to fly. It was my own plane where, you know, I jump, like I said, I'd go in an archer and like even an archer, I, I would never change that kind of setting on short final like that. You know, at the, very 
least maybe right when I got on final, that final, you know, okay, I look like I might be a little high, maybe put a, the last notch in and then not touch it because I know that plane's different than the 150. I don't have the time in that plane. That's I know that's not what you do in airplanes. You don't have ridiculous amounts of time in. That was prior to becoming a CFI too. Yeah, I, 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 or I think, I guess what I would like to maybe get down to the bottom of is there's a difference between, like you said, just playing around with different configurations, how they felt, but where my, it, and I don't, it's not really an issue. I'm making it into an issue. I don't really care what you two do. You guys are both great pilots. I trust you with my life, with my family, all that good stuff. Be not, <laughs> it's not even, yeah, I mean, it's not even a question, but. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that now. I haven't flown in a while. I don't even trust myself yeah. in it anymore. <laughs> uh, from a stick and runner standpoint, I mean, I, I would be comfortable with it, but it's just, it's just the why to me. Like I just, I am completely dumbfounded as to why those last 10 degrees are so important to do something that's completely antithetical to airmanship standards. Next time you go out, test mm-hmm. this. Cause test what? like really the nuances that airplane this reasons why I did this, and I didn't mean this for this to be like a half episode, you know, discussion about this, but it feels different in the flare 30 versus 40 to the point where I like, if it's not windy, and I can, I prefer to have 40 degrees when the airplane's flaring than 30. You know, Do, I'm, not very, not telling you not to land with 40. I'm not telling they're you not to land with 40. I'm saying land with 40, just select it earlier if you know you want to land with 40 why aren't you making the decision to change your pattern so that you can do that without applying it in the flare because i don't i don't want to have to add power on my descent so i'm using those flaps to fine tune that so stay extra high so you can do all that stuff without power yeah but what if i came in a little low well then you have to add power then you have to add power well you don't want to have to add power if you got a ton of time into that exact same 8-8 Delta grass strip and you know the sight picture like the back of your hand like Scott and I do, you know, all right, I just delay some flap and I don't need any extra power because you've done both dozens of times and it's just all by feel at that point. So that's why that, those are the situations where I'm trying to stretch it without having to add power. I know I can leave 20, 30, you know, and then be once I once I know I got you know, the height, I'll I'll throw in that extra 10 degrees. And once I know I got the runway made, I'll throw in that last 10 degrees. So I have that in the flare. That's why that's why I'm doing it. I could just add power. The engine's running, but I don't know. I just I know I can I know I can control I can do that approach even when I'm a little low by delaying flaps because I've done it so many times. I I, mean, I probably couldn't do it now because it's been so many years, but at the time, remembering back when I would do that kind of thing, that's what I was doing. So I, I, I mean, I guess we'll talk, we'll talk about weather another time. This is much more entertaining, I think, to me and probably everybody else. I would imagine. I don't know. Yeah, but no, we'll catch. No. We'll get weather. We'll get weather. We'll have its day. Oh, I but, wrote this out twenty minutes ago. Weather thing. So. Yeah. Right. Right. right yeah. At least twenty. So I guess. But what I'm getting at, though, is I'm I'm not questioning anybody's capability. I'm not questioning whether the airplane can do it. I'm not questioning anything about really what you guys are saying other than you're not stabilized. I'm not questioning your your statement. But you're not and answering what not I'm saying, what you're though. supposed to do. I understand this is not what is taught. Why wouldn't you want to what... do what you're supposed to do and that what another professional aviator would say, man, this dude's this dude's got his shit together. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about like a mystery person. Have you met Scott and I? I thought we. Right. I don't. <laughs> I would like to think though that deep down somewhere, you guys would want to be, maybe not Scott so much, but Rob, like a professional. When somebody watches what you do, well, I am a professional. At something we don't know what, but at something, yes. Everyone's a professional at something, Scott. I'm a professional at like being cheap. Anyway, but like, yes. like when you're driving boats, when you guys are talking about, do- I can't drive a boat. Oh, I can't I'm dock terrible at docking. Do so, I just, but don't you want to be I smash better? into the you dock know, every if, time. 
if there were little things that you could do that a casual onlooker or another yachty or boat driver guy at the marina were to watch you do, he'd be like, man, this dude, yeah, maybe he can't really do a, a good docking job, but he's he's got these fundamentals and he's doing these things correctly. Here's the flip side, though. You guys can both do good landings. So that the, the equivalent, you know, you can't dock a boat good, Scott, okay? Which you're saying, I don't know, but you're saying you can't. But I know you can do a good landing. And you've said you can do a good landing. So why not just round out those super rough edges and do a super professional approach? Uh, when you have the next, time in the seat. Next time, and- I will try to remember to stay higher so that I can come in with no power and 40 degrees flaps without adding them at the end. That's literally, that is literally, Lee, that's what I usually try to do when I'm, I try to get the 40 as early as possible. The only time is I can see, and this is not even, I, I don't do that at You're any so other, point. You're I don't so do that at any other runway except for 88 Delta. Because I know You're, the site, I know the site, and the, if I'm landing towards the west, it still doesn't work. Because I don't know that approach as well as I know landing towards the east. So, right. it's basically just the one direction that I got the sight picture, and for some reason, I don't want to have to add power in because that's like admitting that I came in too low, and I can be like, in my mind, I'll be like, I can still grease this landing. I can still have everything so perfect and smooth. All I have to do is delay my flaps a little bit, and I'll do right. this by myself. It's not even trying to show off to anybody. No, no, no. You know, I know it's not. I know it's not. I understand, you know, like on a nice landing, whether anybody's watching or not. But what I, what I'm still getting at is like there's an FAA okay thing to do, which is add power, and there's an FAA not okay thing to do, which is add flaps at 50 feet. Those two things are separate, and you're saying the one that bothers you the most is the one that bothers the FAA the least, and the thing that doesn't bother you the most is what bothers the FAA the most. So it's like one of those things, like it's just kind of backwards. I understand what you want to do. You want to do a nice smooth landing, power off like a glider, and just. That's all you hear. I get it. I totally get that. But you can rectify that and just land 30 degrees of flaps. And then everybody's happy. Except you, you're still not happy because you didn't have the feel, the pitch the, feel or whatever it is. I just the, know, air, I just the, know airframes, I can, the airframes not happy either because it touched down at a higher ground speed. You, I bet happy. I bet I bet your typical touchdown speed is probably the same. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't it's I don't know if you less understand. This, no, well, the, no, no, no. The stall speed would be a little bit less. What your touchdown speed is, I bet you don't even know what it is. No, I don't. That's right. You're probably that, two knots. That airspeed indicator right. or should less. be reading zero if you're doing it right. Right. Well, that's true. Well, well, and it depends on what your weight is, all kinds of things. If it's a smooth day and you're at the consistent weight when you land, probably most things are probably the same. I'm just saying technique like i know my technique i'm touching down probably above stall speed most of the time if i go on the final approach what's that what's the technical number even though there's no no one knows the number scott but landing 11 and 29 so 1129 whatever yeah so yeah landing to the east 1129 whatever i got i just got at this point just busting your balls no matter what you say it's wrong it's 11 if i'm coming in that runway lee all right and I'm by myself, uh-huh. and I, I think I got it right. I think it's good, but maybe I slightly miscalculate my altitude. You know, I didn't reset my altimeter. You know, it changed a little bit, or maybe the wind's a little bit different. There's a little, you know, less wind or something. And I come in, and I'm a little bit low. You know, little bit low. Just and I'd have to if I if I put yeah. that 40 degrees of flaps in, I'd have to add that little. Ooh. power in i'd have to add mm-hmm. that power in uh-huh. and those migrant workers at barnes nursery are going to hear me have to throttle up oh, and they're going to be laughing at me they're going to laugh. tear you up yeah. you'd lose yeah. sleep over that be like that yeah. guy has no idea what he's doing so that's why i just right. delay my flaps right exactly and i say delay them if, all the way until you're pulling off the runway if you got to add that's power, what i would say if you got to add power on short final you basically just failed I don't agree with that because you basically killed everybody on board. You killed everybody on board. Well, if you got to do a go around, that's ten less degrees that need to retract before you're climbing. I mean, you should never have. You should never have party foul. Well, I guess I'm just the realist here. Back 
I'm, I'm not recommending doing this at all. Let me, you know, 10 million warnings, you know, do not do this. But I used to play around a lot. Like I'd just be bored and flying the plane around and just practicing landings a bunch of different ways at Scott's airport. Mm-hmm. And it's all in the 150, 1976 150 with way too much wax on the wings. And I, w- I remember I would, I was playing around one time where I was seeing how late you could add flaps. And I was literally going from like no flaps to full flaps, like in the flare, <laughs> just to see what it did. And it's weird. I don't recommend even doing it to see what it feels like. But like that's how that's how bored I got and how nuanced I played around with this kind of stuff back in the day. So like now, if only you would have taken all of that and written stuff down and took notes, that'd be a lot more, a lot better for all of us. Oh have yeah, empirical no. evidence for a lot of these things we talk about with the one hundred and fifty. Twenty twenty hindsight, yeah, I never thought I'd be running a a far aim show. So thanks everyone who listens because this yeah, is not you. what I thought. This is not what any of us thought we'd be doing even two years ago. <laughs> right. I just, I'm I'm with you. I just you I know you have the skill land with 30 or land with 40. Just make those decisions. If you got caught with your pants down and you think I need to add power or I can land with 30, just land with 30. That's the FAA acceptable like thing to do. Or, or adding power. Do one I, of those two I, things. I would agree with that. Here's I how, here's, how I, here's here's how I usually set up for the whole thing. Okay. So gone downwind, get to the end of the runway slowly, real slowly, pull that carb heat on. Hey, you don't want to do that too fast. <laughs> yeah, nope. The slower, the better, I've yeah, heard. Right, right. Real, real slow. You don't want to pull it on too fast. There's a few hundred anyway. listeners right now that they're, they're, they know what you're talking about from way back episodes yeah. laughing right yeah. now. Okay, continue. Okay, so then, you know, you, you take a little power out, make sure you're, you know, in the white, throw 10 degrees in, then you uh, turn base, I'll usually throw another 10 degrees in, and then when I turn final, I'll throw another 10 degrees in, and then I check how I'm doing. If I can throw the other 10 in and know that I won't have to add power, I'll throw the other 10 in, like, right at the same, right after I threw the last 10 in. But if I'm like, eh, I glide to the runway here with 30, and then put the ten in once I put the last ten in once I got it made. I'll do that. Yeah, and everything was right until you said, <laughs> "I'll put the last ten in at the last second. You know, right. which I'm picturing as like over the but threshold, wait. right over the numbers. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or while I'm flaring, even. I mean, whatever. correct yeah. me, correct me. You know, obviously you're gonna say I'm wrong, but this is an op- This is something I'm throwing out there as maybe a factor you learned in Piper Aircraft. Uh huh. Where it's a lot different than a Cessna aircraft to put in that last 10, you literally know where that is if it's not a retractable gear or anything, or you're you're hitting it down anyway, so even if that case, it wouldn't matter. You're just clicking that down and forgetting about it. You know what I mean? It's not like you got to be like moving your hand to an area in between the seats, pulling that last notch of flap in. Now you shifted your body with your left hand on the yoke still, maybe doing some stuff. That'd be sketchy. I wouldn't like that. But in the Cessna... You just right hand on the throttles, flap switch. I remember this right to the right. You just that one little one little tap, and you're done. Like you're, it's it's no, obviously the the configuration is changing, and you're, you know, you got to be dealing with that. But the actual act of throwing in the actual last degrees of flap is is way less effort on a Cessna. Yeah, it's minimal distraction from the actual work of piloting the aircraft it's minimal distraction and a minimal intervention from the pilot to extract that last 10 degrees i get it but and and you're right you know yeah i learned in in a warrior primary warrior archer same difference um where you know you have you have the bar and you know and it's a much bigger the detents are much bigger it's 25 degrees at two notches and 40 degrees so we're not talking 30 to 40 we're talking 25 to 40 now there's, I mean, there's so many ways we can skin this, but I'm in a light airplane. 
the generally the general accepted method is pretty much when you have the runway made full flaps and i i think you guys are telling me that sometimes you don't recognize you're cutting it tight enough that you don't have a recognize whether you can for sure and i'm an advocate of 100% for sure not 99 not 98 i'm 100% for sure of putting full flaps that's what i'm getting at like sometimes it is that close you guys are flying a tight enough pattern at idle and you guys are that in tune with making the runway with the amount of energy you guys are managing energy so closely that you can make it with 30 and you only put in 40 for the landing feel and the flare is that a correct statement I'd say yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Basically. So you guys are flying the pattern tight. You have it. You know your airplanes. You know the conditions. You know every. You are in tune with the whole scenario that's playing out. And you are managing energy so closely to the limit of best glide ratio. You know, yeah. Uh, best, best glide. Uh, well, I guess best glide ratio. Um, so closely that you basically wouldn't make it with 40 until the very last minute. So that, I guess, is putting us kind of giving context, I think, to the listeners of how proficient and how comfortable and in tune with the airplane you guys are. So I think we've established that. But I, you know, and that's always important to me that people understand you guys have talked enough about it in enough different ways that I wanted to bring context to what you guys are describing as far as a proficiency level, which I would say is from the, and I know now you guys don't fly that much. So you're not as proficient as you were for the timeline that we're talking about. But that is what I would describe as a hundred, basically a hundred percent proficient. You're managing energy so, that well, which is like the limit. Like that is, that is it. It doesn't get any. You just, somebody doesn't get any more proficient than that. So that we've dispelled that part of it. That's how good we are. That's how good I, you are. That's what I'm trying I, to say. It makes it sound like I'm better than you know I was. But well, tell um, me where I was wrong and what I just said, though. No, no, no. I think that was a very elaborate probably better explanation um explaining when i just kind of said you know everything's by feel at that point you managed to put it into paragraphs of words to explain maybe um, well you know me and my paragraphs but what i what i meant by feel yeah. but yeah no it's good that you know i just like i don't that was a way better way to explain it than what i say is just it's all by feel at that point which i always grasp or i always have trouble trying to grasp the words to put into context your guys's skill level. And that, I think that was a good, I think people can visualize what we're talking about when I described it that way. In the 150, you put us in anything other than a 150 and we're terrible. Oh yeah, we'll crash. You could attain that proficiency <laughs> level. You guys have the stick and rudder skills. And what I think is a huge component of airmanship is energy management. Think of, uh, what's his name? Sully putting it down in the Hudson. He knew he knew was in tune with the airplane. Energy management. as such a paramount factor, I think. Anytime you have an emergency, uh, an heard, engine failure, whatever, energy I management. I heard he just got lucky. Yeah, I think I did say something like that last episode. Yeah. Well, I drank a lot of port, though, so I don't necessarily retract that statement. But What I'm trying to get at is you guys have the stick and rotor skills. You guys are just... you. You're writing off kind of the FAA best guidance because you want the feel in the landing. That's never happened on this program. No. Well, no, that's kind of what it sounds like, though. I mean, it sounds that's I'm 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 not saying don't land with forty. I'm just saying plan to land with plan a little bit better. And this is one thing I want to say though. uh, And when Robbie, you were talking about is when I thought thought about it. A technique that I do with my students is I treat. Each first takeoff of the day as a maximum performance short, short field or short soft field takeoff. And then just assume you know the engine's going to fail at four or five, three, four, five hundred feet. And then, um, and I actually just responded to a guy in an email this morning. We're talking about this same concept because he, he said he just joined a club and and I, we were just talking about, you know, some of the issues with that. And, you know, you don't know how the airplane's been treated. You know, maybe it's a low time trainer, and I kind of alluded to the fact that maybe he was flying a higher time airplane, which I don't know, but I just have the general perception. It's got 20,000, it's a beat up 172 with 20,000 hours on it, which means it has 100,000 landings on it, probably. And 
people are fair weather flyers. So if it's a little less than ideal, but that's what the time they notch on their schedule or when they reserve the airplane for, they're flying less than ideal for their skill level and they're just slamming it in, you know. So it's a hundred thousand not so gentle landings is the store, the kind of the narrative I was driving at. So I tell people to just treat that first takeoff each day like you need maximum performance. Like you know that engine's going to fail at four, three, four, five hundred feet, um, which is not a good scenario. So plan like you need every single foot that you have of runway left available underneath you. So we're talking, you know, a VX climb, so best angle of climb and flaps and all the whatever the manufacturer set for soft field, short field takeoff. Same thing for landing though, which is why bringing it back to what we're talking about. So you guys were talking about like, you guys are ringing out the performance capability of the airplane, which the most people can't do. I just flew one a week ago and I did, you know, three or four landings in it. And the last one was pretty good. And I'm pretty in tune with energy management of airplanes anyways. And I mean, if an engine were to fail, my probability, if an engine were to fail, like if I, if in the pattern, somebody said, Hey, can you make it from here? And I say, yeah, what would my probability be? Maybe 70% of making it when I thought, when I thought I could, I mean, I can't be sure, but. Wouldn't the way, Scott, wouldn't the way Scott and I are messing with flaps on final play more into the fact that we're more immune to an engine failure in that situation on final than if you were just so. relying on yes. adding power? Cor- correct. Correct. Which is is my point i'm I'm kind of undermining my my thing so the first one is pretend you have an engine failure on takeoff basically and then the last landing is or the first landing is typically hey do you think you can make it from here yes i can okay show me let's try it and then s- figure out your energy management i don't i don't you like to guys count on don't, my engine for landing and i agree with you in that in that assessment but what I'm saying is, if you misjudge because you're testing yourself, just land with 30. Just land with 30. And I, I agree. I it's to. just a weird little nuance. And I don't even do it every time. I, I've, I've sounded like I did that all the time. It's just sometimes it's like, oh, everything's good. And then if I remember to, I'll throw in the, the last. If I don't, it's I, you know still the landing. Okay, so here's another one. So, like, let's say your 150 is IFR certified. You're shooting an ILS. You're shooting an ILS. So, where we need to be ultra stabilized. Yes. You know, because you got to follow a glide slope. It's not really, a, you know, up to you. You got to follow the glide slope, right? So, you want you have to be ultra stabilized, you know, in a three-degree glide path, all that good stuff. You got your power dialed in. What type of flat? I mean, I, your 150, does yours have a glide slope? Did yours have a glide slope, Rob? Uh, no, just VOR. Okay. Uh, Scott and I know, I'm sure yours doesn't. No, just a VOR. Okay. I have the Garmin, I think 496 though. Yeah. Yeah. I was coming yeah. back three, from out west. 396. That had the glide slope. On. 396. So it had a yeah. digital representation of it. And I remember I'd keep a little power in, get a good descent rate going. Oh man. You could just from miles and miles out, just shoot a straight in approach at a Delta. So normally I wouldn't do that. I'd want to run the pattern VFR, but no one's ever even well back then no one ever flew out of that airport so we'd be fine so like so you're doing that but let's say you're let's say you're hardcore imc though in the clouds down to minimums what do you do with flaps in that scenario break out at 200 feet oh shit there's the airport and then go from probably 10 degrees of flaps to 40 in 200 feet yeah that's what you do I, yeah, I'd, well, I'd, I'd yeah. do it all by feel, but yeah, I, if I'm if I feel like I'm high, I don't want to lose some. If I'm high and fast, well, you followed live. a glide slope though. You followed a glide slope to 200 feet. You didn't know you were going to break out. You have all these scenarios playing. You break out at minimum, so 200 feet presumably, and there's the runway. It's a little bit off to one side or the other because you had a crosswind and all kinds of whatever. You're just gonna go. Maybe no flaps to full flaps. That's, I mean, just by feel, you guys are saying? I usually, unless I was just screwing around trying to see what it would do, um, I usually didn't transition flaps that quickly. Um, I'd but you only have throw, 200 feet to play with. Yeah. Um, I'd probably throw in, probably throw another 10, wait for that. So that puts you maybe at 20 stop. degrees. Yep. And then I'm 
pretty quickly in the 150 once you get really some time in it. You can see how that feels, how that trim, you know, if your trim, how that trim is feeling with that flap setting with your airspeed and everything. You can maybe, you know, throw down your, you know, pull up on your trim wheel, trim the nose down a little bit, throw in that other 10, see how that feels. You can go through that really quickly just to see. But yeah, if, I mean, if you have to, just as long as you keep that nose down, you can throw in the flaps all the way to 40 on that plane. If you're just prepared to get the nose down, you'll be fine. It's very a very forgiving airplane with that, um, as yeah. long as you get that nose down. That's just nothing that I would ever teach a student to do. Oh, no, I wouldn't either. We're bad Which, influences. Yeah, and hypocrites. I do what I want. That's why I don't teach. Scott's not even a CFI, though, so he's... He's in the clear. Right. I'm a CFI. Oh, just, my. You guys make me look so bad. I'm smart enough to just know I'm not, not going to teach anybody how to fly. Lee, Lee yeah. so if I do that on my flight review, are you going to fail me? Yeah, you probably should. I, You know what? I almost can't now because I know you're going to do it to piss me off now. But <laughs> I have nothing. I just have nothing again. It's just I need to have land with 40. I need to land with 40. You guys are both like I've tried to zero in on for the listeners because you know you guys act like jackasses half the time and i needed a way are. for them to understand yes you are i need a way for them to understand your proficiency level and your your airmanship capability oh yeah back in the was, day we we were damn good don't you know don't do any of this you still type. are and you still are you just need to knock the rust off right. like me like yeah. i was trying to elaborate i have I hadn't flown a 150 in a while, and I fly every week, you know, 10 or 12 hours a week probably. And I got back in the 150, and it was atrocious. I was not happy at all. And it wasn't terrible condition. It wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. And it's just just off your game. You know, proficiency, and you know, you, you lose it quickly, quicker than you think. But I wanted to basically zero in on how good you guys are from a stick and rudder standpoint. And now you guys are basically, oh, I want the ten, I want the 40 degree feel on landing. It's like, <laughs> oh, we're being prima donnas 100%. I just, but I just, it yeah. just doesn't, wouldn't you rather be seen as a professional? And you know if what I mean? Can, like that last I can final feel, mile of airmanship. If I can feel the wheels touch the runway, that's a bad landing. That's a rough Oh landing. yeah. That's how I used to look at it. Yeah. You should not feel you if you're in a grass strip, you should not you feel should those not wheels feel touch it. down. Yeah. You did something wrong. You need to do, you know, power back up like, and try it again. You should know by the noise, because you can hear the wheels start rolling, but you shouldn't yeah. feel it. You guys are setting terrible expectations for people, I think. Like that's not that's I mean, that's great to aim for that, but how do you get somebody to being able to do that? And we also need to stop talking about grass strips so much because most that most people that's never going to happen well i mean you should it's eventually if you got enough time in the plane get to the point where you're doing that on pavement too but i think the way you do this is you get people you know mentally prepared you're not getting your private in 40 hours or once you get your private you should still like did I not explain how when I was bored, I would spend hours screwing around by myself, landing, you know, doing little differences to see what would happen, you know. Like I said, back to earlier in the episode with comfort levels for takeoff and stuff, the same thing applies with this. Don't be going just, oh, Far aim podcast guy said I should, you know, I can throw flaps at the last minute. No, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be doing that. Um, maybe let's go up to altitude and, you know, play around with them up there first. You know what I mean? And then maybe let's do it, uh, you know, very gradually start playing in it, you know, over the course of hundreds and hundreds of hours. Don't you don't just jump in and try to do stuff. I think that's a, uh, I think if you could get people to just take the time to appreciate that art and just find the joy in in that practice, you know? You had a different I – mean, I mean, we've talked about the virtues of, of aircraft ownership, and that's certainly one of them, the kind of pennies on the dollar cost to you. Yeah. 
of owning the airplane versus somebody who's in a club or they bought an airplane or they're at a flight school or whatever. That's a vastly different um, experience for them, unfortunately. I was doing this for $25 an hour back in the day. Yeah. And that's obviously that that will never that scenario doesn't exist. Now. I mean, not even for just gas, I wouldn't think. Well, I mean, inflation and everything, you'd probably do that 150, pretty similar accounting for inflation. You'd probably do that if you owned a 150 outright. Well, 25 bucks an hour, like that's that's magical stuff which we've never been able to put pen to paper well, and actually, make those numbers I think, work. Actually, I think we were paying I think we were paying more for fuel then than it is now. So, I don't know. It's gone yeah, up but lately. What's but six, we're definitely what's $6 6 gallons an hour times even even three, that's eighteen. That's yeah. eighteen bucks an hour just for gas, which I know gas yeah, is. Like I, I just bucks. go. To, I just go to the gas station and get my gas. The partner in the plane was the magician with <laughs> no, the county. We always used to joke. We always used to joke about that. Yeah, no, yeah, I know you don't put auto gas in it, but is there an, well, there's I, an STC, I do put, right? I do put. Uh, yeah, I do put ethanol free. Ethanol free, octane. right? I put ninety octane ethanol free in it. There's an STC, right? So yeah, yeah, but I don't do it all the time. I do like half and half. Right. That that's okay. Whatever. Yeah, but I'm I'm just. I mean, if if you had it, most people are not probably not going to do that. I don't know. They might not even have it available to them, especially where most of the big flight training centers are. You know, the big population centers. But like you were just saying, yeah, the dude, like cooking the books on on your you know your ownership. Like it just doesn't. None of it works out. 25 bucks an hour. Like, how did you not lose money? When you start thinking about, you know, that that engine is 10 bucks an hour. That airframe is probably a couple bucks an hour. The engine, like we just, even if at three bucks, three bucks per gallon, that's 18. So we'd have to, we're up to 30 bucks an hour right there, I think. So. I don't think, I don't think when he did it that he factored in engine because he just planned no. on selling it. He planned yeah. on selling it before the. Overhaul, and then you we just bought it. At, we bought it at six hundred, sold it at sixteen hundred for five hundred dollar loss. Yeah, and and I get all of that, and I I understand that was his logic. But again, I don't think I don't think that scenario will play out well for somebody now. No, but I mean, I think fifty dollar an hour if you own the one fifty outright is not crazy. I think I came up with sixty eight. Sixty eight. That's still a good deal. Oh, it, no, I mean, I'm a huge advocate for, I'm going to pull up a spreadsheet right now. Um, I'm a huge advocate for owning the airplane. I'm going to, I'm probably going to go to bed here. Scott, so. you're the outro host, so you kind of decide yeah. how long this goes, this one, uh, so. Anyway, uh, it was great talking to you all tonight. <laughs> um, <laughs> you are so good. Hold on, Scott, hold on. No, 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 hold. Pause, pause, pause. We got a review. Um, I'm going to screenshot it and text it to you so you can read the review. Uh, okay. As your host duties, you got to remember the emails too. Um, uh, da, 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 da. I can even I can even read it if you want. For oh, it, okay. I'll, I'll just send it in the group text. Yeah. yeah. We can continue on for like two minutes while I look it up, though. I gotta find okay. out my email. So oh, I'm, I'm looking here just with all the fixed and variable costs, and I have not audited this lately, but I came up with total variable costs of sixty eight dollars and fifty three cents. Um. So that's the variable cost, right. though. So that's that's, that's th- those are the only right. the things that cost you when you're operating the airplane. So um, variable cost. So your, your fixed costs and variable costs all together. So hangar rent insurance, all that good stuff, comes up to eighty three bucks an hour. I mean, there's Depending obviously some assumptions, correct? And this is based yeah. on one hundred ninety two hours flown per year. That's a decent amount of hours. So I mean, what do you? How many do you want me to put in? That's the glory of a split spreadsheet. I, you want 50, 52 hours, so an hour a week. Yeah, I feel like I did like 40, 50 hours a year in my plane when yeah, I had. All right, so probably. that so obviously that doesn't change our variable costs because those only cost when you fly it. Uh, that brings our fixed and variable costs up to one twenty two an hour. One twenty two three. Well, yeah, but I also just changed. I chopped one hundred and forty well, yeah, hours off. I it. guess. What do you? What do you charge it for annual? We paid like a thousand dollars a year for the annual. We knew a guy. So that's under the fixed costs. Um, the the place where we kept high. the pl- the place where we seems, kept the plane. Um, 
back then was very reasonable. I've heard it's gotten out of control these days with the hangar rent of what it costs out there. But back in the day, it was oh yeah, yeah. It was like it was like a hundred bucks a month we paid for hangar rent. Yeah, it's a little higher than that now. Yeah, the, the the I don't know the management or something. I I've heard from other people who've got planes up there that's just gotten just got out of control. Supply and demand. All right, you ready to read uh, read that outro, Scott? Yep. Wait. All right. Aren't we gonna read an email first? Yeah, you you gotta do the outro. You gotta. That's part of it. You gotta be like, oh, oh I'm did gonna... you send it? Yeah, it's in the group text. I oh, got a okay. screenshot. Um, I don't know how Apple's doing it, but apparently you can still leave reviews because I got an email saying we got a review on it. All right, folks, we have a review here, a five-star review to read from Sipen Juan. I'm on the verge of completing my private pilot training, and your info is helping me grasp the info a bit faster. I drive a big rig and am going through all your casts on record time. I can't read. I'm I'm sorry. That was bad. <laughs> oh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we're doing this. We're, before yeah. we start live streaming, I want you guys to get a hang of this. I, I am not. I'm not good at reading out loud. <laughs> I'm sorry. I drive a big rig and I'm going through all your casts on record time. Keep up the awesome work. Drink up. That's awesome. See, that's a good, that's that's a good way to end it. Yeah. Drink yeah, up. Sure. Hell yeah. Uh, so anyway, thanks for listening tonight, folks. Uh, it's past my bedtime, so we're going to go ahead and sign off here. How would they get a uh, hold of us? If, if they you want to get a hold of to... us, uh, don't bother emailing me, but if you really want to, my email is Faraim at scottboris.com. That's F-A-R-A-I-M at scottboris.com. Lee Griffin will answer your technical questions. Probably type you out something that's way too long that you're not even going to want to bother to read. So whatever, if you really want to talk to him. Probably chess. Yeah. You'll just reply just too long, didn't read. But... Uh, <laughs> If you want to get a hold of him, he is at faraim at leegriffing.com. And the uh, the leader here, Robert Berger, if you need to get a hold of him, it's uh, Robert Berger. All right, it's faraim at Robert Berger, the German way, not the sandwich way, dot com. <laughs> How's that spelled? B-E-R-G-E-R. F-A-R-A-I-M at robertburger.com. Yes. How do you, what, is it Griffin or Griffin? How does that, how does that last name spelled? G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G. Okay, good. Do I got to spell it every time? I I don't know. I always did, but this is your show, so you you do you. You do you. Good night, folks. Okay. Good night, Scott. Yeah, Thank you later. for listening. Thanks for listening, Take guys. Care. Take care. Yeah, thanks for listening.